Praise God. We prayed, uh, the worship team after rehearsal, we prayed for Israel, but I've still got it on my heart. I want to pray as a church. Um, actually, I'm going to pray Psalm 17, where David said, Show your marvelous loving kindness by your right hand, O you who save those who trust in you from those who rise up against them. Keep them as the apple of your eye. Hide them under the shadow of your wings from the wicked who oppress them, from their deadly enemies who surround them. Father, we pray that the unrighteous leaders coming against Israel are being brought to chaos and to futility. I pray lies will be exposed and truth would prevail. We also want to pray... um, there are innocent people on the other side of this conflict that are, I was actually hearing a, a, a or actually reading statements from a young man who had been part of Hamas and had been radically saved uh, and made Jesus his Lord. And his father is a leader in Hamas. And you realize once the blinders are taken off, this man loves the Lord. And, and the same thing can happen to anybody else that's, that's a part of that. And so we want to pray also for that right now. Father, we pray that that whole Middle Eastern area there, that, that Jesus Christ would become real to not only the, the, the Jews that have become so secular and, and lost their sight of you, but those in, in Palestine that, that, um, that don't know you and that are, that are blinded and that, um, that supernaturally, Father, you do supernatural things to bring their attention, either visions, dreams, revelations, angelic presentations, Lord. Get their attention and and draw them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And we pray for peace in Israel, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. You ready to hear the word this morning? Yes. Glory to God. You have your Bibles. Let's open to Hebrews chapter 8. We're going to look at verses 1 and 2 and verse 6. I'm reading this out of the Holman Christian Standard Bible. And it says, Now the main point of what is being said is this. We have this kind of high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and the true tabernacle, tabernacle that was set up by the Lord and not man. Jesus has now obtained a superior ministry, and to that degree he is the mediator of a better covenant, which has been legally enacted on better promises. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask your Holy Spirit to open our eyes today and make your word come alive in us and help us to see what changes we need to make in our lives. And we purpose to be doers of the word today and not hearers only. Thank you for helping us and for transforming us into the image of your son in the name of Jesus. Amen. Jerry, if I could get just a little bit more out of this mic, I'd appreciate it. Thank you. As believers, it's sometimes easy to fall into the trap of focusing so much on the earthly ministry of Jesus, his teachings and his miracles, his suffering, death and resurrection, that we neglect the fact that when, when he sat down at the Father's right hand, he began to live for us 
in as much reality as he died for us. Hallelujah. Andrew Murray said it's so much easier to take in the doctrine of a substitute and an atonement than of a high priest bringing us into God's presence and keeping us in loving communion with him. But the fact is, he's no longer the meek and lowly man of Galilee. He's no longer the son who made sin, who was made sin and forsaken of God. He is the Lord of all who conquered Satan, sin, disease, and death. He's the one who possesses all authority in heaven and in earth and makes good on every promise in the Bible. He died as the lamb who fulfilled the old covenant and took away the sins of the world. He arose as the Lord high priest over the new covenant. You hearing some ringing here? His entire earthly ministry for us would have been incomplete if he was not carrying on a ministry for us now at the right hand of God. So this morning I want us to look at the present ministry of Christ as our high priest, our advocate, our intercessor, and our shepherd. Our text tells us we have this kind of high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. We aren't waiting for him to become our high priest. He already is our high priest. In Leviticus 16, God gives specific instructions to Aaron, the first high priest, concerning the Day of Atonement, which the Jews call Yom Kippur. This was the one day of the year that the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies with sacrificial blood to make atonement for himself and the people of Israel. The word atonement means to cover over sin with the blood of a sacrifice. God made provision for the appropriate entry into his very presence. The preparation of the high priest was meticulous. He had to come at the proper time with the proper sacrifice. Galatians 4, 4 through 5 says of our high priest Jesus, but when the fullness of the time had come, in other words, the proper time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Hebrews 9:24 through 26 says, For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood of another. He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. In other words, the proper sacrifice. We see something interesting in Mary Magdalene's encounter with Jesus right after he arose from the dead. In John 20, 10 through 17, and I'm reading this out of the Living Bible, Mary had returned to the tomb and was standing outside crying. And as she wept, she stooped and looked in and saw two white-robed angels sitting at the head and foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Why are you crying? the angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they've put him. She glanced over her shoulder and saw someone standing behind her. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Why are you crying? he asked her. 
Whom are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you've taken him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned toward him. Master, she exclaimed. Listen to the words of Jesus here. He said, don't touch me, he cautioned, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go find my brothers and tell them that I ascend to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. Jesus wasn't talking here about his ascension to the Father to be seated at his right hand. That occurs in the first chapter of Acts 40 days later. He was speaking to Mary as the high priest, fulfilling the atonement. He was on his way to enter into the heavenly holy of holies to present his blood as an eternal offering for our sins. Hebrews 9.12 says, With his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Later on, in Luke 24.39, after Jesus had already ascended to the Father to present his blood, he encouraged his disciples to touch him. He said, handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. His ministry as high priest didn't end with his carrying his blood into the most holy place. In the book of Hebrews, he is called a priest forever. And in Hebrews 4:14 through 16, we read, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. There's nothing quite as gratifying as possessing something. We say, I have a home. I have money. I have a car. The scripture we just read says, we have a great high priest. He's yours. He's mine. We can trust him for all we need. We can rely on him to bring us into God's presence. Our confidence is based on the knowledge that he died to save us and that he lives to keep us. And we're assured of a hearty welcome because he's the one who invited us in the first place to come boldly. Amen? We obtain mercy when we ask forgiveness for the things we shouldn't have done. And we receive grace that empowers us to do what we should do. One writer said, in time of need is the equivalent to the phrase, just in the nick of time. At the moment of temptation, you look to Jesus for help, and the grace is there, just in the nick of time. Hallelujah. As our great high priest, he's our mediator, our go-between. He stands between God and man with the objective of producing peace between both parties. He's the only being possessed of both deity and humanity. Without Jesus, we could never approach the Father. First Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. As our mediator, he's our guarantee that everything God has provided for us in the new covenant, we can obtain. Amen. That includes healing, prosperity, peace, 
safety, wisdom, and any other promise in His Word. Hallelujah. You might say, well, I've messed up so many times, I don't think God's going to want to bless me in the way you're talking about, Brother Dave. I've got good news for you. Jesus is not only our high priest, He's our advocate. 1 John 2, 1 says, My little children, these things I write to you so you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. That word translated advocate means one who is called alongside in the sense of a defense attorney. It means if a believer sins, his case is not hopeless. He has an attorney in Jesus who will point not to the sinning believer's merits or good works, but to his own finished work on Calvary. So if you as a believer miss it, you're going to have a sense of grief and you lose the ability to stand in the presence of God without consciousness of that sin being ever before you. You haven't lost your relationship as his child, but you've lost the ability to fellowship with him. Kenneth Hagin said, if you can keep on sinning and failing and are not grieved about it, you'd better check up on your Christian experience. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The moment we confess our sin, Jesus, our advocate, our defense attorney, takes up our case before the Father. He'll say, charge that to my account. And the Father can show mercy and restore us to fellowship because Christ has satisfied the claims of justice. It's essential that Christians come to know Jesus as their advocate. Some are not enjoying fellowship with the Lord today because they confess their sins and never realize that Jesus was their advocate, their defense attorney, working on their behalf. And consequently, they never receive that sense of restoration. No Christian should ever remain in broken fellowship with the Father any longer than it takes to ask for forgiveness. What the Father forgives, He forgets. Amen? Amen. Closely aligned to His role as our advocate is the role of Jesus as our intercessor. Hebrews 7.25 says, Therefore He is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through Him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Romans 8.34 says, Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. That word translated intercession is a technical term for approaching a king. So these scriptures speak of Christ seeking the presence and hearing of the Father, on behalf of others. The accuser of the brethren can try all he wants to bring a charge against us in the court of law, but our advocate goes before the Father and asks him to act graciously on our behalf. As I was thinking about all this uh, while I was writing this sermon, I remembered a story about my oldest brother. He died back in the 1990s. But in the 1980s, he worked as an attorney in the DA's office in Rochester, New York. Rochester is the headquarters for Eastman Kodak, which in the 80s employed over 60,000 people in the city of Rochester alone, and 120,000 worldwide. My brother was interviewing potential jurors for an upcoming trial, and he asked one of them, a man named Colby Chandler, what he did for a living. 
And the man said he worked for Eastman Kodak. Well, my brother, who could be very sharp-tongued at times, said, a lot of people work in this city, in, in this city work for Eastman Kodak, Mr. Chandler. What do you do there? The man responded, I'm CEO. <laughs> my brother's failure to recognize the most prominent businessman in Rochester was such a huge oversight that the newspaper, city newspaper picked up the story and thought to have a little fun with it and put it in the paper the next day. Well, I was picturing, as I was thinking about this, I was picturing our defense attorney Jesus in the courtroom of heaven interceding on our behalf. And the accuser says, who are you to be interceding for them? And Jesus responds, I'm the judge's son. How many know that's a sure signal your case is going to be dismissed? The accuser of the brethren can gather all the evidence against us he wants and all the reasons why he thinks we must be condemned. But there stands one on our behalf, our counselor, who will present himself before the Father and say, these accusations are true, but I have a full pardon signed by God's own hand and purchased in my own blood. Glory be to God. And just like my brother's failure to recognize who he was dealing with, was put in the paper for all to see. Satan's failure is recorded for eternity in 1 Corinthians 2, 7 through 8. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world, Satan is called the prince of the power of the air. So the princes of this world are Satan and his cohorts. Had they known they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Hallelujah. He's our high priest, he's our advocate, and he's our intercessor. Finally, I want us to look at his role as our good shepherd. We've looked at Psalm 23 recently when Shannon and Michelle both preached on it. But I think it'll do us good to look at a few of the verses again from the perspective of the shepherd's role being part of the present-day ministry of Jesus. Psalm 23.1 says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The NIV version says, I lack nothing. The Living Bible says, I have everything I need. And Young's literal translation says, I do not lack. That means if the Lord is my shepherd, I don't lack healing. I don't lack health. I don't lack wisdom. I don't lack direction. I don't lack strength. I don't lack financial resources. I don't lack any good thing. Psalm 84.11 says, No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. That's our good shepherd. Hallelujah. Brother Hagin said of believers, we are living right now in the 23rd Psalm. Christ is the caretaker, the lover, the bridegroom of the body. Think about that. The Lord is my shepherd implies a profound relationship between us who are mere mortals and the Son of Almighty God. To think that God in Christ is deeply concerned about you as an individual should give great purpose and meaning to your temporal life here on earth. The sad thing is there are multitudes in this world who refuse to give their lives to Jesus because they fear that to acknowledge his ownership is to come under the rule of a tyrant. And yet the truth is he gives himself for us continually as our intercessor, our advocate, and our high priest. He's always guiding us by his Holy Spirit, and he's ever working on our behalf as our shepherd 
to ensure that we'll benefit from his care. But let's not lose sight of this fact. If he is our shepherd, that means we are the sheep. And sheep don't have a reputation for being the brightest animals in the pasture. If left to themselves, sheep wouldn't know what pasture to feed in during the summer or where to go in the winter. When one sheep moves, the rest will follow, even if it doesn't seem to be a good idea. I read a story about 400 sheep in eastern Turkey who plunged headlong to their death in 2006 after one of the sheep tried to cross a 50-foot deep ravine, and the rest of the sheep just followed. Now, it's no accident that God has chosen to call us sheep. The behavior of sheep and human beings is similar in many ways. Our herd mentality, our fears and timidity, our stubbornness and stupidity. Isaiah 53, 6 says, All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's past to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Despite our flaws, Christ chose us, bought us, made us his own, called us by name, and he delights in caring for us. I read a story by a man who was a shepherd of his own sheep in Africa. He wrote about the ranch next door to him, which was owned by a tenant sheepman who showed little concern for the welfare of his own sheep. They were forced to gnaw away at bare brown fields and drink muddy water. They were given given inadequate shelter and scant protection from predators. They were thin and weak and riddled with disease and parasites. The shepherd who wrote about this said he would watch his neighbor's sheep stand by his fence, staring pathetically at the green lush pastures his own sheep enjoyed, as if they wanted to say, please set us free from our awful owner. I think it's a picture of how the world should be responding to seeing us under the care of our good shepherd. Paul said in Romans 11.11, in the Living Bible, one of the reasons God made his salvation available to the Gentiles was so the Jews would become jealous and begin to want God's salvation for themselves. It's unlikely that Jew or Gentile sinners will become jealous of the church if it looks like we're being neglected by a shepherd who doesn't care for us. I'm thankful we have pastors at this church who believe it's important how our church property presents to this community. Building and grounds are maintained regularly. The interior is bright and inviting. Thank you, Marcus, for your help with that. There's always plenty of spiritual food and natural food. (laughs) As under-shepherds of the Good Shepherd, David and Scarlett are demonstrating the care he desires to extend all of his sheep. Amen? Psalm 23.2 says, He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. In the natural, sheep will not lie down unless they're free from fear, free from torment, and free from hunger. The shepherd is critical to removing all of these obstacles to rest. Often just his presence in the field is all that's needed. For a believer, life in this fallen world is full of hazards and full of unknowns. A bad report from the doctor, an unexpected bill, a problem with your car, wars and rumors of wars. All of these have the potential to put you into fear and rob you of rest and peace. 
But when you shift your focus on the fact that the Good Shepherd is right there with you and begin encouraging yourself in the Lord with all the promises in His Word of His provision, His protection, and His faithfulness, your outlook changes. Hope floods in, driving out fear and allowing you to rest. And quite often, the Lord will use other members of His body to enable this to happen in your life. I experienced that myself this week. I had some preliminary repair work done on our house that didn't turn out at all like I expected. When I saw what the worker did, my stomach sank. I was concerned he had compromised my roof. I spent the whole night mulling over it, trying to figure out how this would be fixed, how much it's going to end up costing me. And the next morning, I woke up with the same sinking feeling. Now, mind you, I had been working on this sermon about the Good Shepherd. And that morning, the next, I finally thought, well, dummy, he started putting into practice what you've been reading and studying. And so I started to encourage myself in the Lord, started confessing the word over the situation and the fact that the Lord gives me wisdom to know what to do in every situation and how he perfects those things that concern me. And after that, I, I felt impressed to call this friend of mine and brother in the Lord who lives out of state and whose expertise in, in areas of construction and home maintenance there. I have uh, profound respect for. And I called him and explained to him everything in detail and my concerns. And uh, he assured me, he said, Dave, this isn't going to be a problem. He said, once the contractor finishes the installation, that will no no longer be an issue. So he had already been there and seen this stuff, you know, and knew exactly what I was talking about. So as I hung up the phone, this piece just flooded back in and, I realized this was the good shepherd working through my friend to help assure, help restore and quiet my soul. Hallelujah. I was, it, it was, my wife saw the transformation. So let's step down to the last verse of Psalm 23, verse 6. For all that came before in this psalm is actually summed up, summed up in this one simple statement. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. How many of us are truly convinced that no matter what happens in our lives, goodness and mercy will follow? It's easy to say we believe that when everything's going smoothly, our health is good, our bank accounts are full, families are doing well. But what happens when you hit a bump in the road? As long as we're living in this fallen world, there will be bumps in the road. There will be occasions that will test your confidence in the care of our good shepherd. And pious platitudes won't get you through. If you get a bad report from your doctor, will you give in to fear and despair? Or will you have the attitude that this is just one report and not the final report? And whatever is going on in my body now, goodness and mercy are following right behind, flowing to me, and they will overtake the enemy, what the enemy meant for evil. This is the kind of faith and confidence that allows the good shepherd to extend his care over your life. Just as goodness and mercy flow to me all the days of my life, it should be left behind me as a legacy to others wherever I go. There was a woman I worked with once who wore a really strong perfume. And you could always tell when she'd been in a room because she left her fragrance behind. What fragrance are we leaving behind in others' lives? Are we leaving 
peace or turmoil, forgiveness or bitterness, contentment or conflict, joy or frustration. In short, in short, are we exhibiting the traits of sheep who are cared for by a good shepherd? Let me close with this. In Exodus, as God attempted to lead his stiff-necked people to the promised land in Canaan, he told them it was a land flowing with milk and honey. What does that mean? Well, during the peak season of spring and summer, when pastures are at their most productive stages, the livestock that feed on the forage and the bees that visit the blossoms are said to be producing a corresponding flow of milk or honey. So a land flowing with milk and honey is a land of rich, green, luxuriant pastures. Brother Hagin said Canaan is a type of the church's rights and privileges in Christ. It's a place of rest and a place of security in this world. And this is only possible because in Christ, we have a high priest who brings us into the presence of God to receive grace and mercy. We have an advocate and an intercessor who pleads our case before the Father and enables us to live in unbroken fellowship with him. And we have an ever-present good shepherd whose aim is that we have no lack in this life as we live in cooperation with him. Dare to believe that this morning. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your magnificent plan of redemption for us. Thank you for sending Jesus as the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. And thank you for the ministry he now carries out for us as our high priest, our advocate, our intercessor, and our good shepherd. For those who have been out of fellowship with you, I pray they would lean on their advocate this morning and accept your forgiveness that you've provided through him. For those who have been fearful of lack and having to fend for themselves, help them to lean on their great shepherd this morning. And as they do, I ask you to begin turning things around in their lives. Bring them up to a higher place in you, into a realization of their rights and privileges in the promised land of the new covenant. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, you are dismissed. Glory to God.